Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human! Hello, 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 and welcome to Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast panel show where we're trying to improve the human species. Each week we ask our panel of experts and Rachel... And what they would like to see in the next stage of human evolution. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Microdot at Hatch in Manchester. Let's first of all meet our panel. So may I introduce you to my left, we have Rachel Wheely. Hello. Uh, Rachel, for this series, you are our comedian and judge. You are the person who, any improvement that our panel decides upon, um, you're going to be the prototype, really. Yes. I mean, obviously they, impacted your life very they're much, plugging but. things into me left, right and centre is horrible. I've been selected as a representation of humanity, guys. Right, yeah, right. I'm kind of like a field reporter, only in a uh, purple dungarees mini dress instead of a flag jacket. Okay. Um, what kind of thing are you hoping to hear from our, from our panels here? Well, I mean, I'm a full-time mum, so what I really want is things that are going to make that more fun. You know, if, it would be great if, if I have ironing to do, it would be great if my hands were made of iron. <laughs> Uh, that's what I want. I want to. I'm a very short person, so it's very difficult to put your kids on a naughty step if you can't reach it. You know, I want. I want upgrades that are going to make my life easier as a as a mum in the world. Please. Well, let's go for that. We are also joined by on our far right here, Sarah Withers. Hi. Sarah, I'm not sure I've got this right. You're a physiologist at the University of Salford, and you're mainly working on cardiovascular disease. That's right. What does that actually involve in the day-to-day? What are you doing? So I'm interested in how our blood vessels work in, in health and what goes wrong when we're unwell. So linking in sort of cardiovascular disease like stroke, type 2 diabetes, atherosclerosis. So I look at the reasons why we develop them. And are we finding anything out? Can you give anybody here like good reason for optimism? What might we see in the future quite soon? We have sort of plateaued out in terms of obesity at the moment. So hopefully we'll start to see that come come out in a um, in d- sort of deaths from obesity being ab- as they are. Hopefully that um, 
we can sort of turn that trend around because actually at the moment obesity is one of the the big problems that we're facing so it's a priority for our for our health system that we need to fix wonderful thank you and we're also joined by andy meyer hello Andy is a bioethicist, an academic and a journalist at the University of Salford, and most of your work focuses on post-humanism and technology. Now, given that this is kind of a technological and post-human podcast, can you actually explain what what post-humanism is? What does that actually mean? Well, lots of people have different ideas about it. My approach to it is to think about what comes after being human, not just in terms of how we think about ourselves, but also our relationship to other animals and to the world at large. So it's trying to hopefully get us to a better point where we actually consider other lives beyond our own. So posthumanism is tending towards kindness, is what you're I saying? I think so, yeah, absolutely. And just recognition that we are part of a system. We're not just individual units that can proliferate around the earth willy-nilly, but actually we need to live and exist amongst other species. Well, I'm sure our audience here will have loads of questions for you because we're also joined by our live audience at Microdot. Give yourselves a huge round of applause. <laughs> Now, before we leap into the far future and try and get speculative in what kind of thing we would like to see in the species, each of our panel have brought along some news stories to see what's happening right now, because um, things are already pretty weird. Can we start with you, Rachel? We can. What's your news story? My news story is uh, a very big news story, actually, that the UK is the first nation to commit to uh, net zero emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, by 2050. Okay, that's a good commitment. Will, will we make it? I mean, we've never made any of the commitments, similar commitments that we've ever made before, but I don't want to be cynical about this. Um, the things that concern me about this are if we are going to hit this emissions target, that means electric cars, it means electric planes, it means no gas. Uh, what are we going to do without gas, guys? I mean, I'm not cooking on induction hobs. What? This is nonsense. Um, it, it's got impacts into all kinds of things, and um, we're going to have to cut down massively on concrete. Why concrete? Uh, concrete's very, very energy hungry. Uh, you're going to ask me why it's very, very energy hungry. Why is concrete very, very energy hungry? Isn't it because they need loads of energy to get the sort of the makings out of the out of the earth? Is it the digging? Is it the whole process? Yeah, it's I reckon the grinding that takes, down yeah. of whatever it is they make concrete out of. <laughs> it must, it must be I mean, this is going really well. Somebody, somebody <laughs> in the audience will know this. Uh, Actually, can oh, we get... Oh, there's several people who know this. Let's go and find out. Hello, um, audience. You see, I didn't expect to dive into you guys quite so early. Why is concrete so energy uh, hungry? You're stripping the water out of the minerals so that when you make it, you mix it with water and it recrystallizes. You strip so the water the out of the minerals to get the concrete, and then we go and put water back into it later. <laughs> to... Okay, cool. Because it's there truly ancient, isn't it? I think then the Romans, when they arrived, they pretty much looked at Dover and went, we'll have some of that. <laughs> and they, they had white cliffs and were using them to make concrete. So ancient, ancient technology, perhaps we should be past it. So anyway, you want to end concrete, and you're very pleased to hear that we're trying to commit and have zero. I'm, he- I'm pleased to hear we're going to try to do it, but I'm worried about what's going to happen um, in, in terms of like how... How exactly do we get there? The Telegraph has got an article already, um, which made me laugh, which the article title is, Will the 2050 emissions target mean we have to give up our holidays? That's what the Telegraph's concerned about. Well, there's quite a lot of people at the moment that have decided they will never fly again. I mean, not themselves, but actually yeah. playing. We've got some in the audience. Wow. Yeah. We need to hear from them. I mean, that's... Oh, hang on, let me just come and talk to you. 13. We, we have a person who's got an audience mic as well, but Rachel's just very mobile. <laughs> I haven't flown for 13 years. 
Wow. Congratulations. I feel like that should be a round of applause for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, Actually, before, before we take the microphone away, and can we just confirm, is, so this is a, on an ethical basis, you've decided for the good of the planet. Yep, you know, a consciously ethical reason. Yep. But it's, it's interesting because it sort of makes me think about in the future how we will look back on some of the things we've done. You might have seen Simon Anstel's movie Carnage, oh, which it. imagines a future where 60 years from now we look back on our use of animals for food, for clothing, for anything that's sort of exploitative and think, how on earth did we do it? I really and, recommend it. It's also yeah. very, very funny. Simon Amstel is a terrific comedian, and like it's got moments where people are trying to come to terms with their their carbon and their the carnivorous crimes, as it were. And it's just got a circle of people saying cheeses out loud, and crying, <laughs> Edam. Um, it's great. I recommend it. What's your story to that end, Andy? What have you brought along? So with you? I've got a story that is from two days ago, and it is a discovery of the earliest evidence of cannabis use. And so a lot of my world is amongst people that are interested in these human enhancement technologies. <laughs> imagining new futures where the possibility of taking us beyond our limits is just around the corner. And we often talk about that as a kind of modern phenomenon, that this pursuit of enhancement is possible only when we've kind of corrected all the things that are wrong with our biology. So when we free ourselves from illness and suffering that evolution's kind of designed into us, we can then go beyond it. And it's clear that, in fact, this pursuit of transcending our limits has been there for well, centuries, millennia. And that's, uh, I think, quite mind-blowing, really, that we have always wanted to try to explore alternate realities, whether it's through our minds or through physical activities. I suppose, isn't there evidence of, like, there are quite a few animals out there which actively seek um, drugs as well? Do you know more about this, sir? Uh, there's, there's some... Um careful with my phraseology but I've, I've heard about um the idea that reindeers go off and uh, eat the snow where um there's been urine in the snow where they've taken mind enhancing uh, mushrooms yeah. and it's that sort of crazy kind of reindeer response which which makes them fly <laughs> yeah this is what we discover rudolph is that red nose is just something that red nose is because he went into the snow for too long <laughs> and elephants love a fermented fermented fruit is that actually yeah. true yeah. Or elephants are uh, after booze all the time yeah yeah they definitely are because the reason i'm skeptical about it is look at the size of an elephant how much fruit that's fermented you have to eat to get a elephant loaded <laughs> quite a lot yeah thought. yeah it's a all day session. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is that the, back then, two and a half thousand years ago, and this was a discovery in Western China, so some evidence that shows the use of it for, for ritualistic reasons. The difference today is that many things we talk about, they're sort of a promise. We kind of, if we do enough science, we'll get to a point where we can do these things. I met a guy yesterday who has signed up to cryonics. This is the science of life extension, the idea being you freeze yourself yeah. at death, well preserved. And that at some point in the future, you can be brought back. And you can either be brought back as a head-only version of yourself or a full-body version. And there are two different prices for each of those. But it, that seems to be a predicament of this human enhancement debate, that we're not just buying into stuff that's here. We're buying into the idea that it's going to get there if we just keep progressing with the science. You, you, sound, you look skeptical. Uh, I'm a little bit worried because I use frozen fruit. <laughs> and I know what it looks like when we defrost it. Yeah, we won't stick it in the microwave, I think, when it's a human head. We also sort of... hate to be the head that's like the kind of loose peas, which have just gone in your freezer and are just hanging out there. Yeah, that... That'd be awful. Happy, <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, have they worked out how to actually do the defrosting no, of course bit not. yet? No, or are they just saying, we're going to wag well, you I... in a chest freezer you know that'll be eight grand? Well, you'd be <laughs> dead. Much. So you won't know. So if you didn't no. come back or you turned into some, like, 
head mush. It's a brilliant, <laughs> it's a brilliant vanity project, isn't it? To preserve your own body for we know not quite exactly what. It is. And I sat through actually 20 years ago, there's, a, there's an organisation called Alcor, which is a US-based organisation. And they set up a UK version 20 years ago in Eastbourne. <laughs> Go figure. Yep. And... Um, <laughs> And I went down to one of their sessions. They had some guy over from the US who was going to take them through the procedure. So these, uh, this, this whole institute was set up on this industrial estate. I arrived there really early and three cars arrived, a Rolls Royce, a Ferrari and a Porsche, out of which stepped th- about six octogenarians. So getting to the point where actually life extension may be quite urgent. Is that why we were in Eastbourne? <laughs> well, <laughs> Perhaps. I think it's possible. Yeah, I think that is. And yeah, they went through the whole procedure. So when one of them dies, they have to get on the phone to be able to get it. How do you get on the phone when you die? (laughs) That's your first hurdle right there. (laughs) But then someone would come along in their ambulance and preserve them in the fluids and make sure that the level it's not of sort the first of... ambulance you're going to call is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's not, not the cryogenic well, it has ambulance to be, it has to be that's it what so about the actual ambulance yeah no they, they they can't use the actual ambulance that's, so they have to certify death obviously and that has to be certified but after that point they can kind of do what they want well you can see how we got there from a discussion that started on cannabis that's all we can see <laughs> sarah what is your new story oh mine's a bit depressing now but basically it's looking at how um how dementia risk is is linked to our weight. Now, we're all aware that actually being obese has a higher risk of, of death, but actually this is showing that as we get older, that we shouldn't lose weight or gain weight. So we, when we're in the sort of end stages of life, we should work really hard to maintain the weight that we've had through our life. So with every um, change in uh, body mass index, so for every one change in BMI, that actually there's an increased risk of about 25% of dementia. But can I check that what you're saying here is that it's, if it's up or down? Up or down. Stability. Do we know why? why? Why is the stability the important thing rather than anything else? So we know that our fat tissue isn't just a kind of reservoir for energy. We know that it does a load more jobs. And I'll get onto that a little bit more maybe later. Um, but actually what we um, think is that the stuff that comes out of our fat can have a lot of inflammatory effects. So it's possibly something to do with that, but they don't really know. And actually, in this cohort, although it's a massive cohort, we're looking at a population in Asia, um, and it doesn't really take into account what what their midlife weight was. And we already know that those those who are obese in their midlife are more at risk. So this is just the sort of end stages of life. Well, fascinating. The, it's something to find yeah. out here, isn't it, I guess? Absolutely. More research needed. That's always how nearly every discussion ends. And that's it? how I keep my job. <laughs> but in this case, is it... So, obviously, there are lots of other risks associated with being overweight. Oh, absolutely. So what thing's going to kill you first? I mean, that's, I guess... Do you want to keep losing weight even if you are at that point, despite the additional risk? I think, actually... Yeah. Dementia yeah, versus th- heart attack. Is what the, 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 the thing is, is, I think if we were to ask the audience, one of their biggest fears is probably living healthy longer so there's no point in living till we're 120 if we don't remember it we want to know our family we want to know the sort of human interactions we want to appreciate the stuff around us so actually we're scared we're scared of dementia Mm. so those who live to the older ages so even if they have been obese there's some kind of thoughts that perhaps they've been resistant to the sort of obesity linked diseases so they've not died from the cardiovascular disease that's associated with being overweight or being obese um 
But actually, so they've already sort of lived through that. They've managed to sort of overcome that. And now they're at risk of something else. So that's exactly what's happening right now. We can see that science has already got full-on sci-fi, if you ask me. But what would we like to see in the future? At this point, our experts are going to tell us one idea each for what they would like to see in the next stage of Human 2.0. And Rachel's going to get to pick ones, see if they go on the shortlist or not. Andy, you're up. What do you want to see in the next stage of the human being? Okay, so my pitch is uh, for a product that I saw first sort of conceptualized about 12 years ago. I was teaching at the Royal College of Art, and one of the designers came up with the telephone tooth implant. So you've got a cavity in your tooth. You can have the gold, silver, whatever it is, or you can have the telephone implanted. And it set off, set, set me thinking about, okay, what could you do to allow people to have greater connectivity and greater capacity to understand and engage with other people. So my pitch is for the universal translation implant, which is a concept we've seen in science fiction in many different formats, but it seems to me the biggest enhancement we could, we could have is the capacity to understand different languages and not just other human languages, but other animal languages as well. If we could give this facility, that would be, that would make the biggest impact on life on earth. So we're talking about something that would be a kind of modified cochlear implant, perhaps, or it could even be at the moment we have a situation already where companies have figured out some kind of device that would stick in your ear and, and be able to live translate from a different language. So you could hear something in a language that you could understand. But the additional step I would like to make is where you could then speak it back. So if we could allow people to have this facility, the world would be a better place because all the problems we have derive from an incapacity to understand. We, we can't just gloss over telephone tooth, right? <laughs> because that's already strange. Like, it raises many questions, like how do you play Angry Birds on your, on your tooth? Is this person genuinely trying to... So it's, it's a really interesting case. So they, they developed this as a sort of artistic project. So they experimented with jawbone technology so you could feel vibrations and hear the translation of the sound in your ear and they but they didn't develop it as a product they took it to technology fairs however and they were asked by journalists when when's this going to come out because obviously groundbreaking you could have this telephone permanently inside your head and uh, oh they said we're, we're just artists we're experimenting with this it's never coming out and nobody wrote about it so the following year they went to another tech fair asked again, when's it coming out? And they said it'll be out in six months. And they made the cover of Time magazine with it. Oh. And, but it sort of, but they did get letters from psychiatrists saying this is an awful idea, people hearing voices in their heads, unable to shut them off. But you know what? Alexa, these are all things that now just kind of interrupt everything in our lives. We're not far from it. And what's interesting to me is, as an example, as, as a potential application, is that we're, we're not far from this reality already. We already have kind of prototypes that allow us to have this live translation. We see in even social media that translation is automated now. You can see tweets, Facebook posts in whatever language you have. So actually, the example is really just around the corner. I quite like this idea. Oh, thank you. The reason I quite like this idea is because I would like my phone not to be something that I look at for 12 hours a day. And if it was implanted <laughs> in my tooth... Like, all that texting nonsense would just go away, wouldn't it? And every friend that calls you would be a conversation that's mostly saliva. Why do you want that? There's already... <laughs> well, I mean, that is the problem. And... and I want to know whether when I'm talking to somebody, I'll just start ringing out of my mouth when somebody else is trying to get in touch. Like, how does that work? <laughs> I need to know the practicalities of this. Well, that's what I was going to say. How do we charge it? Actually, yeah. Well, your body any... would charge it, I would imagine. That would well, be you the imagine? Best way. No, but that would be the best way to do it. You don't want to be connected or forget your charger do you what wireless charging 
we have wireless charging at the moment, the movements that you make every every day could be ways of charging these devices. In fact, we have those sorts of um, devices emerging at the moment already where the steps we take power other things that we're carrying around. So we are self-charging entities. These could power It's us. also going to be a problem, though, if we... I mean, there's a lot of noise as you walk around a city like Manchester or London at the moment where you get... You hear all the chatter of people walking around. We're now going to have dogs talking to us as well. That's the best <laughs> with bit. Your, with, your, with your invention, you're going to trans- automatically translate all the dogs going, hungry, 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 hungry. <laughs> <laughs> or help, get me away from this mad person. Um, actually, okay, so actually, because you're right, we did get sidetracked on the tooth. This, yeah. Babel, this Babel fish idea, because yeah. there's, as I'm an evolutionary biologist, that's my background. Yeah. One of the things we often see is that there, there's a cost. You always get a trade-off for these things. I was talking to a friend of the show, um, Lewis Hugh. He's been one of our guests previously. And he's been just doing research recently where they're showing where people who speak multiple languages um, recover faster from strokes and are less likely to suffer from Alzheimer's disease. So they're starting to suggest that there might be a thing that basically the human, as an evolved entity, is evolved to be multilingual. We, we come from an ancient history where we used to speak more than one language. Um, currently our monoglottism are only speaking one language, particularly here in the UK and in the US and places. This is the blip in evolution. This is the unusual and the bad thing, which might be doing our health bad as well. Will this only make that worse? I mean, your monoglottism, Simon, <laughs> I speak 12 languages and I'm not going to prove that. But <laughs> I'll go on. I don't. But, I mean, lots of people here will speak multiple languages. Who speaks more than one language in the audience? Okay, you're putting us to shame. Put your hands you're down. <laughs> it's most of the kids, actually, so I'm very impressed. As an uh, Irishman, yeah. I barely speak English. Speak English. Like, this is... <laughs> but it's a good point, because like, there are many things we could do without having to resort to technology that could improve our circumstances, not just in life and health, but actually potentially in terms of our subsequent uh, kind of uh, progeny, the, the people that follow. If we just were more diligent in learning languages the world could be a better place do you think it would stave off dementia and things like that to learn a language well there is already evidence to sort of as simon was saying there's already evidence to suggest that having an extra language um is sort of linked to a reduced risk of dementia so So why not but we're not we're not learning yeah you're not learning another language though are you you're going to be listening in your language and speaking in your language and it's translating it for you. So actually you're not developing those neural connections. This could be the end of... This is the end, uh, not the future. Multiple language learning, actually. So it could be a terrible idea. Well, it's a good question whether it is or not. I mean, I think it, it partly depends on what you think will follow from being able to do that because there will still be people that come from China that may speak Mandarin and there'll be people that live in England that may speak English. So I... The proposal is not that these people stop u- using their principal mother tongue, that the languages yeah. still prevail. But, but we all know one trans- language and we use that one because everyone else gets it translated. Well, there might be certainly a trade-off that people don't learn additional languages. But then if you live in a culture that is really multicultural, multilingual, then mm. unless you can, d- and learning a language is to some degree a luxury, having the time to be able to learn a language is a, is a privilege. So this idea yeah. could be as revolutionary as the internet. It is the most in revolutionary. Terms of like more, more. The, the interconnectivity that we could get, so we could speak to anybody in, on the planet, and all the dogs. And all the dogs. I'm keen to and speak cats. to the dogs. I and want cats. to talk to the dogs, see what's going on. The animals there. are crucial here. See whether this they're is... happy. So um, I do yeah. think we have to get to that point where, Rachel, I've got to ask, is this on the short list? Oh, it's definitely on the short list, yeah. I love <laughs> okay. it. Okay. We'll Babel fish one. is on the short list. <laughs>
Well done, Andy. Good. Sarah, what do you reckon? What is your pitch? Oh, I think what Andy said, to be honest. Um, I really like it. So I think that what we should have is a switch where we can change our fat to keep us warm. So change our fat from being storage fat to being uh, like a coat. And I think that's going to change your life, Rachel. You're a mum. So, I mean, I love this idea already because yeah. that means that everything I eat will keep me warm. Well, when is fat not like a coat? Because like, if we understand things like blubber and whatnot and wheels, yep. what, what are you talking about? So I'm talking about, so we are made up of lots of uh, different tissues. And one of our tissues is fat tissue. Now, it's not just one type of fat tissue that's throughout us. We have white fat tissue and we have brown fat tissue. And the brown fat tissue is the kind of fat tissue we normally link to um, to babies. It keeps them warm when they're a baby, so we're protecting them. And in hibernating animals, so things like uh, the brown bear. So this brown adipose tissue or fat tissue is linked to sort of non-shivering thermogenesis, so non-shivering heat generation, and it burns off energy, uses energy. Hmm. But what we kind of worry about as a sort of society, is our white fat tissue because that's our storage bit. So the, the stuff that gets bigger when we eat too much. So, you, said, you said there that we have like uh, brown fat when we're babies. Do we have any brown fat as adults as well? We do. So they used to think that we didn't have any, but now we know that we do. So we have some around our aorta and it does a different job, completely different job to our white adipose tissue, our, our white fat. It sounds strange to have fat in your heart and it's a good thing. This is that. fascinating. Absolutely. I didn't know there were two different types of fat. Well, actually, we could say that there's four different types of fat, but go we're on. not going to go into that. So no, go on, go on. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly what lot of kind to. of. Uh, How are there four different types of fat? So, there's chips. There's, yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of have this uh, phrase beige fat so somewhere between our our white and our and our brown fat so actually there's a lot of people looking at how we can make our white fat which we think is as our bad fat more brown like so more uh, energy expending so in making a bit of that brown it kind of the white and the brown makes beige can we actually go a bit deeper into this? Because I'm aware of fat having, having multiple uses. You've talked there about one of them being heat generation. Yeah. I don't know if like hormones and stuff. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, so we know that the, the fat tissue, the fat cells themselves can release a load of different h- hormones or um, cell-signaling cell molecules known as adipokines. So they, they communicate with lots of different tissues in our body. They can tell us when we feel full. Um, they affect our blood pressure. They affect um, the electrical conductivity of the heart. We know that fat can be um, a factor in reproduction, the uh, immune response, so many different things. So th- there's a plethora of hormones which are released from our fat. So actually, we don't want to turn our fat to be energy expending all the time because actually we need our normal uh, panel of adipokines being released from the fat to do the jobs that it's designed to do. Well, if you're able to change it as well, and I'm going to drill deeper into this because I like the idea of, you know, basically every time it hits a Monday morning for me, my alarm goes off, I'm thinking about hibernating. So if this is the fact that it helps with hibernation, well, why, ha- how, what is a brown bear doing with this fact? So keeping warm. <laughs> it's entirely just for the warmth. So keeping warm, so it helps to, um, it will store fat so that obviously as it sleeps, it's, it has an energy supply to maintain sort of the cell processes in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will help to um, 
the bear to wake up from its hibernation. So we could hibernate with this system. We could hibernate, but Throughout actually... Throughout the winter and wake up in February. Yeah, no, that's... May. Wake up in well, May. Well, to be honest, June... He's just resigned. Yeah. Waking up in something I like. mean, I could take all of the winter off. That would be absolutely fine. I like this idea, um, particularly because my kids are always losing their coats. Yeah. And if I could just flick a switch on them somewhere and just change their fat to brown fat, and then they wouldn't be cold when they've lost their coat in school somewhere, that would be great. So is that I'm on the shortlist? They might it's be on wet. the shortlist. It's definitely Ooh. on the shortlist. So, look, audience, you've got a lot of work here in that case. If you're going to try and beat the two pitches from our people in our panel. If you have a suggestion, this is the point where you get to put up your hands. We'll get a microphone to you. Um, please, when the mic comes to you, tell us what your name is, and then tell us what your idea is. We have a microphone coming from, wasn't it Sam at the back? Is it Sam? Sam's taking it easy. Yeah. There's a guy over here. We'd like to hear your suggestion, please. Just tell us what your name is and what your idea is. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, hi, my name's Graham. Um, first of all, can I just say thanks very much for doing this, but also on the um, language side of things which was suggested, can I just make a suggestion that most language is actually not what is said, it's what com- is communicated visually and non-verbally. Okay. Uh, if you've ever talked to an Italian online or an Italian face-to-face, you will know that uh, because nothing is the same as that. So I, I'm not poo-pooing your idea. Far from it. You can't tell what someone's actually saying, though. I mean, you can tell they're very excitable, but you can't tell. You just ram the back of their car. I mean, maybe it's my age, but I still, before emojis came along, I still got upset when people, so my my wife sent me a text, for example, without XX at the end of it. I thought she was, like, miffed with me, but she just said, I just forgot to put it there. Um, I so, think she was you know, miffed with you. She probably was, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know what you did, she's not telling you. <laughs> um, actually, can, can I ask her, because you made a point of, a, like, a, maybe communication is different from language. Like, is that, because there's different parts yeah, of the this, brain. This was my point. Um, I'm learning Icelandic at the moment, which is one of the most difficult languages. Lovely language. Uh, I want to read the sagas in it. But the thing what I was realizing when I'm learning a language is that there is language and there is communication. And communication is so much different from language. Communication is almost like the social side of language. 
So you're moving from one extreme where you could go for something like algorithm programming to very emotional, you know, in, in Iceland you can say yao yao. And if you say yao yao in one way or say ya ya in another way, it can mean two completely different things, a bit like Chinese as well. Okay. So this whole idea of uh, language actually being uh, translatable, I think, is, is, is quite difficult. You have to also interpret how people are saying things. Well, I'm going to give you a right to reply to this, Andy, because you. you're obviously you're aware of the technology that's coming on mm. right now. Can you tell us things which are at least, at least helping? Well, we know Google Translate at least makes our life ordering IKEA furniture so much easier. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. I had the very same conversation with a colleague of mine, Professor Robert Young, who's a University you know, of Salford and a zoologist, and he's very much the animal expert, and I pitched this idea to him, and he said the same thing, that so much of our ability to understand is in excess of the language, the words that are written or, the, or spoken. Uh, and he said, and that's, that's why we've got so many problems with social media, and I said to him, well, Rob, people speak in not just emojis now, they speak in animated GIFs. And he, he and I think so partly that the, the way in which we communicate evolves too with these languages. And so it's not just that we would have the words being translated, but you could have those intonations being communicated as well. And I think also we, we so yes, it might be that if you're looking at a tweet on social media and it's translated automatically, you might think, what is lost in that? And there probably is a reasonable amount, but I also think that we can get by with understanding 80% of what is said. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but you've mentioned the exact word there. In social media, it's animated. In other words, you're looking at it. You're not wow. hearing it. So it has to be a sort of, not binary, it has to be a multifactorial way of communicating. I think communication is one of the most difficult things. I've always been thought, you know, if we do meet people from another planet, I forgot what the film is, would we be able to communicate? Arrival. Because ba- Arrival, exactly. Because basically communication is so cultural, so deeply ingrained in our social and uh, our evolution um, yes. that these things are sort of pretty much um, unique yeah, I was in Korea last year for the Olympic Games and um, had on my phone one of these sort of translation devices. I was in a restaurant and I didn't understand much Korean. So the guy, the waiter said something in Korean and I pressed the button and it translated it. And then I said something in English and it translated it back. And it was a moment of sort of connectivity that we wouldn't have had otherwise. It would have just been a kind of failure without the technology and so i think there's also layers of opportunities to communicate that happen around those new technological realities really i can just imagine a, a conversation in a restaurant where you say something to the waiter and they punch you in the face <laughs> and you just think what did i what happened there i've got yeah. absolutely no idea i just asked for some chips there are limits to google auto translate that is true yeah yeah <laughs> graham did you have a suggestion for the future of the human race as well or was it a point about communication you wanted to make well, my suggestion was going to be completely the other side of it and mentioning type 2 diabetes, mentioning type 1 diabetes, that the pancreas and the feedback system in type 1 diabetes is, in people who haven't got type 1 diabetes, is one of the most robust systems uh, that actually exists within the body. And it's making other organs as robust as the pancreas could be in a healthy person. Sorry, so I got, that I got was the suggestion. Confused. So, in other words, that, that um, the pancreas very rarely fails. Okay. Because uh, it's got a great feedback system in releasing insulin and controlling blood sugars. Mm-hmm. And it was the other organs as well, like our eyes as well, if they can be as robust as the pancreas could be. Some so sort of robustness robust would be organs. fantastic. Yeah. More robust organs. We'll add that to the, to the list. Well, can, actually, can we ask Joe this a bit more? I'm, I'm sure you might know, sir, what 
why is the pancreas so badass? I don't know, actually, but I, part of me feels like, well, I think probably, yes, evolutionary thing, but I think one of the, um, the body works really hard to make sure that our glucose levels are so tightly regulated because if they go off in either direction, we're in trouble. So in terms of ensuring the adequate energy supply to the brain, because without that, we're knackered. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why the pancreas is so robust, is to ensure that we keep our glucose really tightly regulated. That's just my, my feeling, I think. Because that's, that's an interesting question as to why, and I suppose for some things it might be down to redundancy, like if you lose one ear, you've got another one. If you lose one eye, lose one kidney. Some things you've got backups for. We haven't and got a backup not pancreas. Everything. No backup pancreas. I'm looking at the men in the room. I've only got one of some things. Brains. Nobody's no, going with me on this no, one no, 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 at no. all. Okay, it's too early for that kind of joke. Fine. Or I'm not making any sense. I'm writing down um, more robust organs. organs. But it's interesting. More robust organs is really interesting because um, there's a lot of talk around bioprinting of organs and, and things that we could put inside us to replace their biological counterparts at the moment. And the question may arise as to whether we can create organs that are better than their biological, functional biological versions. And if that were the case, then we are potentially embarking into a, a future where enhancing ourselves is possible. But the problem is, when we imagine that bioprinted material, we are imagining something that is essentially disconnected from a whole range of other evolutionary histories that perhaps we still don't quite yet fully understand. And so we're taking a chance on thinking, well, this seems to be better, but actually, if we don't fully understand what that pancreas is doing, we might actually just swap something out for something else. Well, we're seeing. You were just looking at this earlier about about you know these super futuristic medical um, interventions, some of which are, are suddenly coming back to cause problems. So there was a patient who actually died following a fecal transplant recently, and you just think like we start putting whole artificial organs into people's bodies. We don't know how they're going to cope with that long term, do we, really? Well, we don't, but let's, let's sort of think about this logically, right? We aren't going to start taking out Andy's heart right now and putting in a bioprinted one, are we? The audience because, would love it. I mean, try it. Well, we could try. But I guess my point is we, we're going to replace something that's not working very well. We're not going to replace something that's doing its job perfectly fine. We've lived for many years without having to change our organs, haven't we? Yeah, so the pioneers are actually the people who have got trouble to begin with. The I think so. That's what I think. But, but the, what doctors define as normal changes over time. So if you, with your bioengineered heart, can live to 200 years, and I've got my normal human heart, then am I somehow characterised as disabled even? Well, I, was, I got slightly distracted when you said with your, like, your bioengineered heart. Because I was just thinking of you having your your new printed heart with your defrosted brain. <laughs> <laughs> that is an image that can be distracting, I think. In it's... that case, the real question here, is that on the shortlist? Or um, uh, as good as the pancreas, everything? More is robust that? organs is on the shortlist, Okay, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. three. Can we give Graham a huge round of applause, please? Okay, there's, a, there's somebody right at the back over there. Hello. I th- oh. Hello, my name's Ronnie. I think it would be interesting if people would be able to temporarily feel the people's pain so they could fix it and more be able to better understand 
what the person's going through temporarily. That's brilliant. That's like I love winner, it. Isn't it. You win. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not, it's not all over. I'm just saying I love it. I'm not saying that's the answer. So a sort of like um, empathy system of some description. Yeah, like when children are younger, they can't really describe if they've hurt themselves. They probably won't be able to describe what you know what's wrong with them so they could um be you know helped by a doctor or by their parents whatever but if their parents were able to like feel the temporarily feel the pain that the child's in they could be able to like figure out what's wrong with it that's a great idea how would that work would you put your hand on the person and then i it would... don't know it's just a little idea it's okay you don't have to have a mechanism for these things i'm just wondering know, i want to know who you want to cause pain i think that's the that's the key thing you should feel my pain too i'm gonna put <laughs> yeah. you through some pain yeah. so I parents, are, parents were mentioned at this conversation. i think you can do that already that's that's what emo music was invented for <laughs> like the whole idea of Actually, because the main thing you're going to miss here is, like, if we're talking about pain, artistic expression, maybe. I want you to feel my pain. That's what every pretentious guitarist has ever wanted. <laughs> I, have a, I have that experience when my four-year-old is just screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. I think that does translate the pain quite well, actually, via my ears. But, but I like that a lot. And I think we'd have a lot, we'd have a, a lot fewer... Um, a lot fewer? Many fewer... <laughs> Never mind. Um, we, we would have fewer uh, arguments and sadness in the world if that were available. So c- can it work through the internet as well? I suppose. I suppose you'd probably have to know the person, be able to, like, telepathically. I, I suppose it would be a physical, like, be able, being able to physically feel what they feel rather than emotionally. Or I like the idea of well um, emotionally. sending somebody a, a sad file. <laughs> Can, can I ask a, a, a supplementary question? So let's imagine you've got a toothache. Is your proposal that I should also experience toothache? It could be temporary, though. So the person could, like, if someone was more, like, didn't know how to explain the pain they were going through. And but you've just explained it with the word toothache there quite well. This is the other question, surely. Maybe this is what language surely is, is language is a way of conceptualizing ideas. Granted, your four-year-old wouldn't be able to, but, you know... They're really annoying and small, so we can win anyway. What's the worry? Yeah. Uh, I love that. That's definitely on the shortlist. Can we give Brilliant. a huge Thank round of applause? Much. Thank you very much. Em- empathic pain. There's a, a question down... Oh, sorry, a suggestion on the third two. row. Oh, two, actually. Wow. These might be the last ones. We're running a little so bit It's a very long shortlist you've got. Yeah, I know, I've said yes to everything positive. so far. Usually I slam everything, so I don't know. I'm just in a good mood today. Uh, I'm Aiken. My suggestion is how close do we think we are to actual full-body transplants? So an entirely new body for someone's frozen brain. You want, that's a good suggestion. You want a full-body transplant. But also he would like to know uh, how close we are to, to being able to do that. Not close at all, I reckon. Scientists? I don't think so. 
I mean, you know, define close. A hundred years is pretty close in evolutionary terms. So I'll go, I'll go for a hundred years. Do you think we're a hundred years away? Yeah, from I that? think hundred years. Is, I think most things we could say are about a hundred years away. Is that because <laughs> I was going to say is that because you'll be dead by then? Yeah. Or no, so we can't yeah, reclaim the bet. Exactly. Okay. It's in the same way that the government says, yeah, we'll yeah. have net zero emissions by twenty fifty. It is a yeah, bit fine. actually. Those sorts of predictions and, and claims about where we will be as a way of generating some kind of behavioural change are incredibly, I think, misleading. And so, and we see this a lot with scientists where they will say, if we just fund this science, we'll have this within 20 years. Those predictions are, you know, whimsical in, in the most part because it's all reliant on funding allocations. And so it's never just a matter of what is science capable of doing. It's always about how much funding is put into that science. And in, in that sense, we're miles away from it. I suppose uh, the other question is, if you're going to be doing this full body transplant, what's, what's happened the other head? Well, uh, I'm envisioning you put the brain inside the new body and then just. Chuck I, I want to say compost, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, that's um, about all I've got, so I guess I'll. Thank you. That's, that's brilliant. We'll, we'll definitely put that on the shortlist. I like the <laughs> idea of it. No, I like the idea of being put into Mel B's body. I'll do that. Okay. Why, why Mel B? Why not? <laughs> Um, I would that's that's my chosen body. She people. doesn't get a say in it. I'm sorry. <laughs> You've thought about this. She's She's not brain dead. I'm sure it'd be this fine with her. She won't mind, honestly. No, she won't Absolutely. mind. She'd be up for that. She'd enjoy your brain. Yeah, exactly. Wait, this, is, this is one more thing. Sorry. Go on. I feel as though it'd have some quite interesting implications for people with gender dysphoria who experience those sorts of issues because they would be able to have an actual female or male body without the complications of gender reassignment surgery. This is a very good point. I like it even more. So would there be better ways of doing this rather than a full body? Because like, maybe the thing is that I'm sure you can understand that some people have a feeling, they have a sensation that their body is not the body that they are born into in a way, that their mind and their body are different things. But they also have some connection that, that this is my wrong body and they want to change that. Is, it, is there something different about changing up wholesale, as it were? Um, like, do, do you want to take me? Uh, I guess they'd probably get a discount for buying in bulk, but... Uh... <laughs> well, mm. I guess if we're going to go full Lego on this, right? Where we pop off our little yellow heads and we pop them onto anything we like, why not have the full quiver of different bodies? That's an expensive box set. I like it. <laughs> I just don't all know right. where you're getting all these bodies from. Spares. All right. <laughs> That's to be worked out later. Thank you very much indeed. Right, Big I'll round of applause for that suggestion there, please. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to suggest right next door. We might have to make this our last one unless we've got um, some quick ones. Well, I'm Barnaby and my brother Aiken just talked, but my idea is quite different. It's basically, as well as the two salivary glands that everyone who has any basic, who's ever read any biology book would ever know it below the mouth as well also a tea and coffee gland this is amazing this is i mean just scrap the shortlist simon that it's all over the most tea and coffee self-generating gland thing amazing you've, you've just had the most british suggestion we've ever had there's coffee involved so uh, not quite well, actually, yeah, I suppose there's the downside. Not much tea in, in England. If, well, if you've also, if you've ever used one of those machines that serves both coffee and tea, you end up getting cough tea, and that's not as good. <laughs> and always there's ones that they sell soup as well, which I hope comes from a different nozzle, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're just going to have a disappointing saliva. 
I just really like the idea that I could spit out a latte. <laughs> It'd be amazing. It'd be I'm great. just a bit concerned of my five-year-old having that because he's wired enough as it is. Yeah, that's true. Does it kick in at uh, puberty? puberty. Um, can, we, can we do that? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> great, it's on. It's on the shortlist, Simon. It's a hard one bringing them in. The, the, the real fix for getting a cup of tea is just, just get a cup of tea, really. Yeah. Sit down and a cup of tea. Yeah. What, the, what you're going to lose here, though, unfortunately, if you're going to pimp your salivary gland to do this, is actual normal salivary function. What do we lose if we lose saliva? Well, we know that it helps in our digestion, but I don't know. He's not replacing them. He's adding them. So are, you, are, you, are we losing them to replace them with our tea and coffee? How, how do you not eat and then find that you're sort of chewing your food with, with flat whites? <laughs> How do you choose which gland to use at which time, I suppose is what I'm saying. I'm actually not too sure on that one. <laughs> I think maybe all you got to do is just chew a tea bag, mate, and you're landed. That's the same thing. <laughs> Give Barnaby a huge round of applause. Thank you very much. Yay. So, we've had quite a few suggestions from our audience, and you've said yes to absolutely everything. You're not very I have, today, sorry. Yep, I've been very lenient. Today. Well, before we do get on, I've got to make a final suggestion. My one part. We call this part of the show Splice of Life, because as an evolutionary biologist who spends a lot of time looking at the natural world, the natural world is full of suggestions for things. So here are genes that I would like to nick. I would like to nick something from this creature here. Rachel, can you please describe that for our audience and the people at home? Well, it looks a lot like a, an x-ray through a human body and a close-up of some lungs to me, but it looks like it's sort of a... Maybe... It, it's basically... It's like a ghost with lungs. It looks like a jellyfish... With, you're, you're with some glittery bits. I'm not doing this very well, am I? I think it looks a bit like if a carrier bag went to a rave. Can you see what I mean? Yeah, it does. That's right. But this is the uh, this is the warty comb jelly, also known as the sea walnut. And scientists have recently discovered that this has what they call a transient anus. So, one of the things... Yeah, it has gone there. Yeah, it has. One of the things which separates the jellyfish and the comb jellyfish is the jellyfish... I've only got, food goes in one way, um, waste goes out the same way, and then the comb jellyfish have bums, basically, right? This one only has a bum when it needs it. It fills up, and whenever it's full and it's digested everything, then it makes a little hole where it can put everything out. Makes a little hole? <laughs> what do you mean, makes a well, little how would hole? You, how would you describe a bum? How big, dare I ask what's <laughs> But what are, I'm worried about makes. Like, what, what do you mean makes? So this is the transient nature. It occurs so in it just appears places. and then it completely disappears and isn't there at all. Yeah. So and this it's watertight. Is, this is the missing link of bum. This is the creature which connects the having a bum to not having a but bum. But is something opening up? So this is sort of opening or is there something kind of, I don't know, being created afresh? I, I, if you can't see, Andy's currently <laughs> doing the wax on, wax off the karate kid <laughs> for the creation of an anus here. <laughs> Which I've not done before, actually. So. Oh. I, think, I think this is a great suggestion, because for a start, it means you could have it anywhere. I mean, like, basically, as a man, I can use a urine, urine, using a urinal is the greatest advantage I have in life over you, right? Arguably, oh, it's everything me. else. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like, I mean, in terms of, okay, look, okay, there's all the rest of sexism, but being able to stand up to we 
It's great. I mean, that's the kicker, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one we're all really miffed about. So if I could Unless start... we've got a she-wee. You can, I was yeah, going to exactly. say, you can get female urinal soon. Yeah. Well, look, okay. use them what you like, but I'm just suggesting... <laughs> if, Thanks. If I could have a poo urinal as well, or something like this, so you can make this any way you like, you know? What's wrong with the toilet? Okay, so it's Hang on, a, a, poo, a poo urinal. Well, I'm just meaning like, so I, <laughs> I just want to try to, I mean, I've, I've Look, had, we've all sat on a urinal the wrong been, way around. I have been to countries where you have a room with holes in the ground and everyone's just squatting down and getting on with it. Is that essentially what you're... Well, I suppose I'm thinking with the, with the transient anus, <laughs> one that can walk around. I'm not, I'm Do not, you know what the problem with this can walk is, though, Simon? I see, what, I see what you're saying, but the thing about a jellyfish is that it is essentially just a big sack. You're not essentially just a big sack. So if you decide to have an anus in your elbow, it's not going to work because the, the the relevant connectivity is not there for you. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so so I'm going to, as usual, I'm going to slam dunk your suggestion oh, off the short list. Fine. I'm not having that one, I'm sorry. Oh, well, we tried our best. Although only have a bum when you need one is <laughs> one of my favourite suggestion sentences ever. <laughs> Okay, so Rachel, you've got to make some decisions here. Is it going to be Andy's Babelfish Perfect Communication? Does that sum it up? Yeah, well? that's good. That's good. Sarah's brown fat on a switch to heat yourselves up whenever you don't have your coat. Graham's pancreas up every organ to be just as good as it. The empathic pain. And if we turn down a suggestion, we're all going to feel bad. So that's going to work. Uh, Aiken's full body transplant, which will allow you to be Mel B. Barnaby's tea or coffee, saliva gland. Well, I was having difficulty with this for a long time because it's a very difficult shortlist to uh, whittle down. And I have to say, I absolutely love the tea and coffee gland. It is the best thing I've ever heard. However, um, I'm going to go for a a slightly serious suggestion for once, um, which is the... uh, Now, I haven't got a good sentence for it, but the, the empathy idea. I really like that. I think that could solve a lot of the world's problems. So I think we're going to go for that. In one. that case, first of all, can we get a can we get a, a microphone back to this lady to hear how she feels about Will this he? being put into every single human being before they leave the building? <laughs> Thank you. Is it possible we could also have empathic joy? I don't know. I'm too awkward for this. It's too awkward for joy. Too awkward for joy. I, f- I feel I feel her awkwardness. <laughs> I'll rejoice in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so only empathic pain, and we keep all our joy to ourselves. <laughs> that says something about society. I'm not sure. What. Can we give her a huge round of applause? Thank you so much. So, when you all leave, I'm going to painfully stab that into Rachel, and she's going to carry that forward for the rest of the series. Before we go, I want you to give our guest a huge round of applause. Can we say thank you to Sarah Withers, to Andy Maya, to Rachel? We leave. to our wonderful audience here at Microdots. This has been Level Up Human. Thank you and good night. That was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.